Audio Podcast Network. Welcome to the true crime podcast you can binge on your lunch break. My name is Joy. I am a school librarian, obsessive researcher, and lifelong true crime nerd. Each week, I'll be bringing you a new case to dissect. We'll focus on the facts, giving exposure to some of the lesser-known stories in the true crime world. You never know what you might learn. This is Bite Size Crime. Welcome back to Bite Size Crime. This week's case was recommended to me by Emily from the Whining About Herstory podcast. It's a mysterious case that seems to be so close to getting justice, but somehow keeps missing it. This episode discusses sensitive topics, so listener discretion is advised. Praveen Varaghese grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. His parents, Matthew and Lovely, had immigrated from India to the United States in 1990 and were working in the medical field, raising their three children in a happy, loving home. As the middle child and only boy in the family, Praveen was loved and nurtured, and he grew up to be a bright, outgoing young man. After graduating from Niles West High School in 2012, Praveen enrolled at Southern Illinois University. He wanted to pursue a career in law enforcement, so he chose to major in criminology and criminal justice. Praveen jumped into college life with both feet. He had a close circle of friends and was known to be the life of the party. He was quick to laugh and always tried to make others around him feel comfortable. He and his cousin Ashley shared an off-campus apartment, which allowed them to be independent while also having some level of family support. On the evening of February 12, 2014, Praveen and Ashley decided to go out for the night. The two young men hit up a few parties on West College Street, just a few blocks north of the main SIU campus. It was a typical college party. Music, dancing, drinking. Around 11 p.m., Ashley and Praveen split up. Ashley had a late shift at the local bar where he worked, and Praveen said he would just get a ride home with a friend and he would see Ashley in the morning. But in the morning, Ashley knocked on Praveen's bedroom door and got no answer. When he tried the doorknob, it was locked. Ashley assumed Praveen must have left for class early, so he didn't think anything else of it. However, later that afternoon, Praveen's best friend Kyle texted Ashley and asked if he had seen Praveen. He hadn't shown up for any of his classes that day, which was very out of character for him. His cell phone was going straight to voicemail, and he wasn't responding to any messages. Kyle and Ashley decided to retrace Praveen's steps the night before. They headed back to the last house on West College Street, where Ashley and Praveen had split up, but there wasn't any sign of him. They walked around the immediate area, wondering if Praveen had gotten super drunk and passed out in someone's yard, but again, there was no sign of their friend. They even called local hospitals and police stations in the area, but no one had seen or heard from Praveen. Back at the apartment, Ashley got the landlord to open Praveen's door. It was his last hope at finding his cousin. Unfortunately, the room was the same way Praveen had left it the day before. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Finally, Ashley called the Carbondale Police Department and reported Praveen missing. Police released a picture and description of Praveen to the local media, asking anyone who may have seen him to call into the tip line. By this time, Praveen's family was on their way to Carbondale, making the six-hour drive from their home in Chicago. His mother, Lovely, told the Crime Junkie podcast that she called Praveen's phone over and over again during that drive, but it went to voicemail every time. Lovely knew that Praveen would have called her back immediately if he could, and the fact that he didn't just solidified her knowledge that something was very wrong. 
When Praveen's family arrived at the Carbondale police station, they were told something that true crime fans are all too familiar with. Don't worry, he probably just walked off and will show up in a few days. But Praveen's family was not putting up with that. They knew that Praveen was not the type to just disappear without letting anyone know. They insisted that police launch an investigation to find Praveen. Lovely told Crime Junkie that Carbondale police said they didn't have enough staff for a full-scale search, so the family decided to take matters into their own hands. On Saturday, February 15th, a search party made up of Praveen's family and friends met up at the police station, determined to comb the area near West College Street. Canine units from the Pulaski County Emergency Services Disaster Agency joined in the effort, but after hours of searching, they were unable to come up with any trace of Praveen. The family also reached out to the local media and to the lieutenant governor of Illinois, begging for help with Praveen's case. They knew that they needed to put more pressure on the Carbondale police in order for them to take this case seriously. Thankfully, it worked, and the search was back on. Investigators processed Praveen's laptop and began to dig into his cell phone records and banking activity. As they interviewed witnesses who had been at the party on West College Street, they started to put together a rough timeline of Praveen's last movements. As Praveen and Ashley partied on the night of February 12th, Praveen posted several times on his Twitter account. After Ashley left the party, Praveen tweeted at 11.06 p.m., quote, 99% of the time I have no idea what's going on. And again, at 11.17 p.m., quote, bloody knuckles, guess I was in a fight, hashtag back down. But no one really remembered seeing Praveen get in a fight that night, so investigators didn't really know what to make of the tweets. According to police records, Praveen was then seen leaving the party just before midnight, exiting through the back door of the house. There were no more tweets or texts sent from his phone after that, but his phone records showed that at 12.29 a.m., Praveen called his friend Anita in Chicago. Anita told investigators that when she picked up the phone, Praveen said, don't hang up. Praveen sounded like he was out of breath, like he had been running or had gotten winded somehow. During the two-minute phone call, Praveen didn't talk to Anita. She could just hear him arguing with someone. At one point, a man's voice said, give me that back, and Praveen replied, I'm trying to help you. Anita told detectives that she thought Praveen had called the man Greg or maybe Mark, but other than that, she couldn't figure out what was going on. When Anita realized that Praveen wasn't going to talk to her, she ended the call. Days passed, and Praveen's family continued to push for answers. They put together a fundraiser and were able to offer a $15,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person responsible for Praveen's disappearance or for his safe return. On February 17th, Praveen's family and friends gathered together for a candlelight vigil on the campus of Southern Illinois University. Praveen's sister Priya told KFVS that her brother was always there for his family, that he called home every night. Not knowing where he was was devastating. Quote, it's just a complete shock. Sometimes it doesn't even feel like reality. Then, on February 18th, Praveen's family got the news they had been dreading. Praveen's body had been found. Just a few miles away from where he was last seen, police discovered Praveen's remains in a thick wooded area off Highway 13 in Carbondale. He was wearing jeans and a sock on one foot, his red t-shirt underneath his body, his cell phone by his hand. His other sock and a pair of shoes lay on the ground nearby. Investigators told the family that Praveen had gotten drunk at the party and had probably been taking drugs. After getting a ride with a friend, they had gotten into a fight and Praveen had wandered into the woods alone. The temperature had been below freezing that night, 
and Praveen didn't have a coat. He had likely gotten lost in the rough terrain and had died of exposure. But this story did not make any sense to Praveen's family. Praveen was a cross-country runner and was in great shape. He didn't do drugs, and his friends didn't remember him seeming drunk at the party. Also, he had his phone on him that night. Even if he had gotten lost, he would have called someone for help. When the autopsy was completed, the family was even more confused. The Jackson County coroner determined that Praveen's cause of death was hypothermia. The cuts and scratches on his body were caused by the trees and thorns in the wooded area where he was found. There were no other obvious signs of trauma. However, the toxicology report found no trace of alcohol or drugs in Praveen's blood. If Praveen had been so drunk the night of the party, there would at least be something there. The final straw came when Praveen's body was taken to the funeral home. Lovely told Dateline that the funeral director pulled her aside and told her that something wasn't right. When he brought Lovely to see her son's body, she agreed. Praveen was covered in bruises, and on his head were multiple large dents that looked as though he had been struck. Lovely was a trained nurse and had seen many bodies during her career. What she was saying now didn't seem consistent with the coroner's ruling of death by hypothermia. After the funeral, Praveen's family hired their own pathologist to conduct a second autopsy. In May of 2014, Dr. Ben Margolis, director of the Autopsy Center of Chicago, reported that there were 22 injuries on Praveen's body, including four blows to his head and face and a bruise on his right arm that went down to the bone, likely a defensive wound. Dr. Margolis concluded that the underlying cause of Praveen's death was, quote, significant blunt force trauma to the head. He believed that Praveen's head injury had caused him to become disoriented and eventually succumb to hypothermia. When the results were released, Praveen's family felt a small sense of relief. Lovely told the Chicago Tribune, quote, It gives me a feeling that I'm not crazy. The instinct as a mother and the knowledge as a nurse, I think it paid off. Lovely also said that this revelation renewed her determination to find the truth. Quote, I will fight to my last breath. Whatever we've been through shouldn't happen to another family. Whatever they did in Carbondale or didn't do, that has to change. But as we know, the wheels of justice turn slowly. In May of 2014, the Chicago Tribune reported that in the early morning hours of February 13th, an Illinois state trooper spotted a black pickup truck with its emergency flashers on, parked along the side of Highway 13 in Carbondale. Dashcam footage showed Trooper Chris Martin pulling up behind the truck at 12.34 a.m. and speaking with a young man who was already out of the vehicle, walking up the embankment. The man told the trooper that he had picked up a black male walking along the highway and had stopped to give him a ride. But they had gotten into an argument, and the hitchhiker had gotten out of the truck and had run into the woods. The trooper took a brief look around the area near the truck, shining his flashlight into the trees. But that was the extent of his search for the supposed runaway hitchhiker. He spoke with the driver of the truck for about 10 more minutes before both men got back into their vehicles and drove away. Trooper Martin did not contact the Carbondale Police Department to report the incident in their jurisdiction. In fact, it was 11 days before he filed a report at all, well after Praveen's body had been found. However, in spite of the trooper's inaction, the last person to see Praveen would show up at the police station just days later to tell his story. NBC5 obtained video recordings from the days following Praveen's disappearance, showing Carbondale police questioning the driver of the black truck, 19-year-old Gage Bethune. 
According to Gage, he had seen Praveen's picture on the local news and realized that it was the same person he'd given a ride to just days before. Quote, I put two and two together real quick and I just couldn't. Honest, I couldn't look at the screen. Made me sick to my stomach that the boy was, the boy didn't show up at home. However, while Gage said he went to police on his own accord, other reports from multiple sources, including court documents, say that Gage's cousin was the one to approach investigators after Gage told him about the altercation with Praveen. Either way, Gage sat in an interview room at the Carbondale Police Department on the night of February 17th and told a brand new version of the story. According to Gage, he had lied to the state trooper about picking up a black male who ran into the woods because he was worried the trooper would notice he'd been drinking and would arrest him for driving under the influence. The truth was that he had given Praveen a ride out of the goodness of his heart. Quote, I'm a nice guy. I help just about anybody I see. If I see an old woman standing on the side of the road with a bag full of groceries, I'm going to help her out. Gage said that Praveen was clearly drunk when he got into the pickup truck. A few miles down the road, Praveen became combative and aggressive, and Gage had pulled over and told him to get out. When Praveen refused, Gage tried to pull him out, and the two of them had fought. The timeline suggests that this was when Praveen called his friend Anita and she heard him arguing with someone. He was out of breath, suggesting that he may have been running or fighting. Gage told police, quote, The fight maybe lasted 30 seconds. I wouldn't even call it a fight, a little scuffle. However, Gage also claimed that he was afraid of Praveen because of the color of his skin. Quote, You know, I was scared for my life. I didn't know what he was capable of. Definitely wasn't my race, and I ain't used to being around that type of population. Just a few minutes later, the state trooper pulled up, and Gage said that he shouted that the cops were there, and Praveen took off into the woods. That's when Gage said he lied and told the trooper that a black man had tried to rob him before running off. This seemed to satisfy the Carbondale police for the time being, but two days later, Gage was back in the interview room telling a completely different story. This time, Gage said that he was leaving the party on West College Street around 11.30 p.m. when Praveen approached his truck and asked for a ride. Gage said he felt sorry for Praveen because it was cold and he didn't have a coat. In exchange for the ride, Praveen said he would get Gage some cocaine, but Gage declined the offer. As they drove through town, Gage said Praveen was talking to someone on his phone about getting drugs and wouldn't give Gage directions. Gage finally got fed up and told Praveen that he was going to drop him off at a gas station. At this point, Gage claimed that Praveen was enraged and hit Gage in the head. Gage pulled the truck over and tried to get to Praveen. Quote, he jumped out, swung at me aggressively. I defended myself. I missed the punch and I hit him. That's when he kind of fell into me, dead weight, and grabbed me. Gage then said that they wrestled for a moment before rolling down the embankment, continuing to take swings at each other. That was when the trooper arrived and Praveen took off. There are several holes in this version of the story, particularly with Gage's claim that Praveen was trying to buy cocaine over the phone. From Praveen's phone records, we know that Praveen didn't use his phone at all between the time he left the party and when he called Anita at 12.29 a.m., there was only a tiny window of time between that call and when the trooper showed up on the scene. Although investigators didn't necessarily believe Gage's story, they still thought that Praveen had died from exposure, and they didn't have enough evidence to prove that Gage was responsible for what had happened. In February of 2015, the Jackson County State's Attorney's Office convened a grand jury to look at the evidence in the case, but the jury opted to not indict Gage Bethune for the murder of Praveen Varghese. Again, Praveen's family was left without justice, but they weren't giving up. 
In the years following Praveen's death, the Varaghese family filed several wrongful death lawsuits, including one against the Carbondale Police Department for failing to conduct a proper search for Praveen's body, and one against the state trooper who failed to search for Praveen on February 13th, claiming that if he had followed through and immediately filed a report, Praveen may have been saved. The family also filed a suit against Gage Bethune, claiming that he beat Praveen and left him for dead. The family continued to fight, even as hope seemed distant. Lovely told WSIU, quote, We have been left in the darkness with no answers for over two years now. We still don't know what happened to Praveen that night, when he died. How much pain was he in? Was he alone during his last time in this world? How scared was he? And a million more questions. I have sleepless nights. Finally, after three and a half long years, a second grand jury indicted Gage Bethune in connection with Praveen's death. He was arrested and charged with two counts of felony murder in July of 2017. A year later, his trial began. Jurors listened to nine days of testimony in the case against Gage Bethune. The prosecution argued that Gage had violently struck Praveen in the head, causing him to become disoriented, which directly led to his death in the woods. They played the videos of Gage's interviews with police, highlighting his inconsistent statements and outright lies. They also debated Gage's character, showing past social media posts where Gage used violent language and racial slurs. The defense claimed that Gage was just a good Samaritan who had been taken advantage of by a drunk and combative Praveen. When Gage tried to defend himself, the scuffle had ended with Praveen running off, dressed only in a t-shirt and jeans, not nearly enough clothing to keep him warm during the winter night. Gage took the stand in his own defense, admitting that he lied to the state trooper, but that he was just afraid of getting in trouble for drinking and driving. Witnesses gave conflicting testimonies about the events of the house party on February 12th. Some said that Gage had been the one looking for cocaine that night. Others said they didn't remember that at all. Several witnesses testified that Gage was acting drunk, and so was Praveen, It was hard to get a clear picture. Multiple experts testified about Praveen's autopsy and toxicology reports, and the jury was shown photographs of Praveen's injuries. Although they differed in their opinions on the severity of Praveen's wounds, they seemed to agree on the fact that Praveen had ultimately died of hypothermia and that blows to his head may have been a contributing factor. On June 14, 2018, the jury found Gage Bethune guilty of first-degree murder with aggravated battery in the death of Praveen Varaghese. Praveen's family was overwhelmed with relief. Lovely told WPSD that just before hearing the verdict read, she was confident in the jury's decision. Quote, I touched Praveen's picture. I remember that. And I heard, Mummy, we got it. I was completely peaceful. I did not cry. However, that peace would be short-lived. In September of 2018, a Jackson County judge vacated Gage's conviction on the grounds that the initial indictment used improper and unclear wording that could have impacted the jury's decision. He ordered a new trial, and Gage was released on bond. Special Prosecutor David Robinson strongly disagreed with the judge's decision. He told WPSD, quote, There is never a question in my mind that we proved the defendant guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. We will absolutely retry this case. I have full confidence the jury will return the same verdict. Robinson's office asked the Illinois Supreme Court to review the judge's decision, hoping to get it overturned, but the court declined. In November of 2018, the state announced they would not retry the current case against Gage Bethune, but that they may seek another indictment in the future. 
As of this recording, Gage Bethune is a free man, and Praveen's family is still searching for justice. Every year on the anniversary of Praveen's death, the Varaghese family makes the pilgrimage to Carbondale to visit the site where he died. Lovely leads the way, pushing back thick branches until she reaches the right spot. Quote, Just because he died here, I feel like his soul is here. I feel like he's calling me back here. The Varaghese family has set up a scholarship in Praveen's name to support students planning to major in criminal justice. It's yet another way they can advocate for change. Lovely told WSIL, quote, We feel like he planted a seed and it is growing, and his legacy and his memory will live on. Thank you for listening to Bite-Sized Crime. This episode was written, researched, and edited by me, Joy Scaglione. Theme music is by Arts Guitars. For episode transcripts, pictures, and sources, please visit bitesizedcrimepod.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bitesizedcrimepod. If you have a suggestion for a case I should cover, please email me at bitesizedcrimepod at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Audio Podcast Network.